Yeah. Yeah, old school. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, this ain't for everybody. Some of y'all need to hear this. Huh. I know you're in the trenches fighting, but check it out. I'm going to put it down like this so I can help the saints understand. Everything you're going through is all part of the master plan. Or what? You thought because you got saved, everything was going to be peaches and cream? You better wake up, son. Don't nothing come to a sleeper but a drink. Faith without works is dead. Read your Bible. You know what it says. He who don't work, don't eat. Slackers don't get fed. Huh, yeah. Jesus said, he who puts his hands to the plow looks back the same ain't fit. Some of y'all ain't been in the Christmas five minutes and you about ready to quit. I ain't mad at you. I'm just hitting you with the real. <laughs> if you died for me and I was still tripping, now how you think that make you feel? Check this out. Deep game. This here's deep, huh? Some of y'all ain't sawing nothing but you're studying trying to reach, huh? But after him who's able to possess your father's by his glory. Struggles might be part of your testimony, but it ain't the end of the story. Now the point is this was prophesied way back in the day. Choir, sing your hook right here and see if the church can relate. Just call me. She's going to call in just a second. She dialed the wrong number. Oh, 
Okay. You, you, well, you had that problem once in a while, right? You dial the wrong number. I have. Oh, well, it's probably because, you know, technology as it stands, you know, um, some years ago, we used to know everybody's phone number, you know, without thinking about it twice, but because of technology, don't nobody know anybody's phone number anymore. Where you go, Matthew? I'm having trouble. She keeps calling me. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, don't forget. In the meantime, you on the air and you be dropping yes, you out. Tried like, me. Okay. You tried me. She's calling me and I'm trying to get her the right number. I don't know where she went. She's causing stress already and she's going to help us with stress. What number did she call from? Do you have any idea? Yeah, I do. Let me Let me just... See if I can get her just a second. Well, I'll I mean, what's the best. first numbers? And I'll know, you know, because I see a bunch her of Her first numbers. one's a 350. No, she hasn't called yet. It's not in there? No. Okay. I just gave her our number. Oh, uh, well, maybe this is her right here. Uh, 325. Try that one. There you go. Yeah. There. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hello. This That's is Mary, Mary here. Hi, Mary. Hello. Good afternoon. Hello, Mary. Yeah, we Welcome to right the show. Now. We finally made it. We got you in here now. <laughs> it's good you called, Mary, because we were having a little bit of stress, and we might need some help with it. <laughs> no, we, no tell, tell the truth. We were having a lot of stress. <laughs> well, I, I'm here to rescue the world, so. That's good. <laughs> I'm so glad because I, I've been trying really hard to help out the month for a long time, and I need some help. <laughs> Mary, we're glad to have you. Let me introduce you, and then uh, we'll have a bunch of questions for you. But I would just like to share with our listeners who you are and what you're about. Uh, this is Dr. Mary Wingo, who is our guest today. She was born in the United States where she earned a Ph.D. in human stress research from the University of North Texas. And in 2014, she immigrated to Ecuador, which is a tiny country in South America, living in a new and very different society, opened her eyes to the unsustainable social, economic, and political cost preventable stress causes in the modern world. And so Dr. Wingo's aim is to clearly explain to the public the biological mechanisms behind the stress response as well as its staggering cost to society. So, Mary, we are really glad to have you. We are both convinced, of course, that this is a very important subject and has been for many decades as our world has moved into into new levels and, and complexities of stress, which I hope you can tell us even more about. So thank you for joining us, and um, thank you for uh, being willing to talk about this subject with us. Oh, it is my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So your book is called The Impact of the Human Stress Response, right? 
that that is correct. Um, how would you describe that book as being different from the other self-help books on the market? Because I know that um, there's quite a lot about stress and dealing with stress out there, but yours sounds like you're approaching this maybe in a little different way than usual. Could you talk about that a little bit? Can I oh, ask I, the question? I sure can. Can, can I ask the question, Matthew, before she answers that one? Okay. Sure. Could Mary, Mary, could you just tell our listeners what is stress? I know people just use the word loosely. You know, I'm stressed. I got stress, but a lot of people really don't know what that is exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes, I can. And as a matter of fact, um, it's actually the question of the century because it was a, it was a, this is a question that, that many, many scientists have tried to answer um, over a period of, uh, you know, around 100 years. And um, because it, it is, um, what the problem is with uh, the study of stress is that it's so complex, it's probably the most complex field in science. And so that's mm. why it, it's been so woo-woo. It's kind of in the woo-woo realm up until recently and, and you know, not well understood um, but, but let me let me tell you basically um, what my definition of stress is. This kind of sort of unpacks everything. Stress is the okay. rate of adjustment that you undergo in order to adapt to whatever environment you happen to be in at that particular moment that you're trying to adapt. And, and that that's all it is. So so basically, our stress mechanisms are mechanisms uh, by which we adapt. Hmm. Mary, could you say it one more time, please? Oh, absolutely. Stress is the rate of adjustment that we undergo in order to adapt to whatever environment happens to be in front of us at, at that moment. So what, what does rate of adjustment mean? Rate sound, of like, adjustment. Sound, like, sound like it means how some people get stuck in a problem, get stuck in a situation, how long it takes them to deal with that, figure it out, and move past it, move around it, jump over it, and keep it moving rather than dwell on it. Uh, exactly, but this isn't all just psychological. This also covers the um, the purely physical realm as well. So it's mm. it's, it's how fast you can resolve whatever challenge um, uh, that you know that you're facing from the environment. Um, it's it's the rate, and the higher the rate of adjustment, the quicker you're having to adapt, and the, the quicker that you're having to adapt, the you. Basically, you know, all organs um, in your system, uh, uh, you know, become under pressure. So it is. It's a very different way of looking. It's all it is. It's not good or bad. In fact, if we didn't have our stress mechanisms, we probably wouldn't survive the stress of being born. Um, we, we have our stress mechanisms um, in order to deal with the novelty of life, okay, with, with stuff that is non-routine. And, and we do. We have these beautiful sets of mechanisms. But, but the problem is, is that um, in modernized, fully developed society, um, we put um, tremendous amounts of stress on these stress organ uh, uh, mechanisms. So um, basically what's happening, the reason why we're seeing such a spike in stress-related disease, uh, disability, and early death um, is because is because we have actually the way our life is constructed in the modernized world, we we um, st- we overwork 
our stress mechanisms. They're only supposed to be used periodically. They're not supposed to be, we're not supposed to be under stress every minute of the day. It's only supposed to be when a bear is chasing you and then you resolve it and you go back to life. Well, as you know, um, much of how our life is structured, um, you know, you know, in this day and time in, in our culture, um, basically just, just enforces just stressful situations every single day, multiple times a day. And this is why we've seen such a rapid spike. Wow. <laughs> so we really are in what we might call a uh, a time in the development of humans that we are experiencing more stress than we have in the past in general that 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 is correct and and you know in the past our stressors you know again were due to you know uh, uh, you know if we were prey for other animals or infectious disease but now I mean it's sort of switched well it, you've got a lot of physical causes of stress but you also it's switched to a more psychological um, form of stress. And, and again, everyone can relate with that. But again, it's not just your nervous system. The stress response um, applies to every single organ system that you have. So, um, but, but yeah, it, it's basically that we see a spike in mental illness um, that we've never seen in the history of humankind. And this is all due to stress um, on our cognitive centers, for instance. This is just one example. So we can go ahead, Lamont. No, I was just going to ask: uh, Does every individual deal with stress differently? Oh, absolutely. There are individual um, variations, um, you know, to uh, stress. But in essence, the causes of stress in modernized society. Um, are due to five major factors. And if you'd like to, I can go over those. Please. Absolutely. And and uh, also, um, feel free to stop me at any time. I'm sure you're going to have questions. So, um, you know, just interrupt me, jump in at any time, and I'll be happy to uh, uh, further elaborate. Okay. But, okay, right. okay, number one is something that we can all relate to. And I, just, I call this sort of a blanket term, is a, um, complexity. And basically what that is, is, is an overworking um, of our mechanisms from our frontal lobe. And, um, you know, I'm not sure if your listeners uh, um, know this, but this is a very uh, interesting fact about the frontal lobe. The frontal lobe is what has made us dominant in the animal kingdom. What it allows us to do is, is um, look, project ourselves in the future uh, and imagine, um, you know, solutions to our problems. So basically, as humans, our frontal lobe is our primary stress response organ. It's mm. not our adrenal glands. It's not the fight or flight nervous system. It, this is what makes us human. It's our frontal lobe. But unfortunately, um, our frontal lobe being so new uh, in the um, historical sense, it was one of the last parts of our brain to develop, um, it, it's also um, apt to be wonky. Um, you know, it, when it performs well, it performs great. But as you maintain high stress levels, 
as reflected by you know cortisol everybody's heard of cortisol then after mm-hmm. a while your body goes into an energy conservation mode and it shuts down a lot of the functioning of the frontal lobe and this is why when we get stressed we lose our temper we don't have emotional regulation um, our ability to inhibit impulses so if you're on a diet you've had a real stressful day you'll you can't control yourself you just pig out well it's because <laughs> mechanisms that's where that comes are very from. There you go. These mechanisms, and they're very real. We can all relate to this, um, come from a fatiguing of our frontal lobe mechanisms. And also, uh, you know, with this, uh, it also results uh, in the spike um, of mental illness um, that, you know, we've never seen any bo- anything before in history like this, as well as, um, you know, heart disease and your other typical stress-related diseases. So, um uh, yeah, it's uh, very interesting, the frontal lobes, and, and we must do what we can to preserve functioning of that. When we become overscheduled, um, got too much on our plates, trying to, like, burn candles at both ends, getting too much done, this not, is not how we um, were meant to um, function. Um, we're only meant to function like that at short periods of time. But for many of us, um, we hold it as a badge of honor in our culture to just, you know, be absolutely maxed out. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. yeah. So, so ultimately this ends up costing you more. Um, you know, if you have a nervous breakdown or a heart attack, um, the lifestyle that you lead, you know, that, that maybe had early gains, you tend to lose it all back again, um, you know, through stress related illness. So that's number Here's one. Any question. questions about Here's that? a question of the century, Mary. How, how do okay. you turn off? How do you turn off that brain? Okay. Well, um, in order to do that, we have to go to probably the most famous and eminent um, American philosopher, Henry David Thoreau. Henry David Henry David Thoreau was uh, a part of the simplicity. He, he's the guy who coined the term simplicity, as far as you know, having a simple life. And and all you have to do is Literally, okay, number one, you have to make a list of all the stressors in the realm that come under this, that come under an excessive amount of tax on your cognitive load. And you, you literally like you would, um, you know, like a, a food diary or anything else, you just cut it out. Because if you don't, it, it, you're taking the same type of risk as you would be if you were smoking or not wearing a seatbelt. What I'm wanting to do is you just cut it risk. out the forefront so people can understand say, and actually make Mary, a judgment um, decision you, you on just that. said you just said you just cut it out uh, yeah you, you just, just cut it you, out it's, what if you're what if you're married this to it behavioral <laughs> see see there you Mary, go Matthew we we Mary. were talking about entrepreneurs we were talking about executives that have uh-huh. a stressful lifestyle because uh-huh. they work all the time and yeah. really don't uh-huh. know how to turn that off but uh-huh. their lifestyle and their work uh-huh. creates the stress yeah but oh, oh, I had to ask a relevant question Mary what if you're married to it <laughs> Well, I There's mean, a lot again, of people listening I, I, to this are going, yeah, right on, buddy, <laughs> yeah, including well, Lamont. <laughs> you have to understand, though, that this type of social construct is new in our um, in our history as humans. I do. Okay. And I, I think you know, what the, you're saying the is, is truly. The hard-driving Machiavellian 
dog eat dog, you know, rat race. This is only like this began as a, you know, primarily an American phenomenon in the 20th century. So, so really, what we understand as life, you know, is actually a new construct uh, for most of civilization. We didn't live like yeah. that. No, I yeah. understand. I do. I do understand that. And, and so this is the number one. This is number one. Are, are you ranking these in order of significance, or, or is there some other order? Oh, no, or no. Just, just no, a list? These are all, like, equally is it like a circular kind of thing? Devastate. Everything is equal? Okay. All right. It makes sense. So the first one is to do with the frontal lobe or complexity? Yes. Both. Both. Okay. Yeah, because, because our frontal lobes handle process the complexities and stress okay. in our lives so that we can attenuate mm-hmm. stress. Right. And when, we, and when we break that organ down, then we become very vulnerable to stress because we can't deal with anything. Well, it makes a lot of rational sense. It really does. And I, it, it makes sense. Is that there's just too much. We only have a certain amount of bandwidth we can function on, and it's stress to use all sorts of things use it up. We don't have much left to cope with. That's right. So what's number two? Number two. Um, and now, of course, I'm sure a lot of your listeners will find this interesting and pertinent, is uh, living in an unequal society. Living in a society where, like, say, the, the fat cats at the top, uh, you know, uh, grab all the resources and all us minions at the bottom are, like, scrambling for, for breadcrumbs. Well, this type of social hierarchy um, is, uh, is very, very, um, been very well studied, especially uh, by the World Health Organization. And basically, when you're at the bottom, and, and let me explain to you why this is so. When you're at the bottom, of course, you have usually the poorest access to decent housing, safe neighborhoods, mm-hmm. uh, clean water, you know, good schools for your kids, health insurance. You know, you've just got the bottom of the barrel uh, trash on everything. But what does this really mean on a human level? Basically, what it means is that, okay, when you undergo a, the stress response, the organs that are under stress do a phase shift. So they change from their primary states where they were to a temporary, hopefully it's temporary, more plastic jelly-like state. So they can reconfigure itself themselves hmm. to um, fit the demands of the environment. Okay, So when the environment is always forcing itself on you because you're having to scramble because you're the guy on the lower end and nobody is there to help you, like you know, if you're the guy on the top and on the on you know you've got your minions to 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 you know do your bidding well you don't have mm-hmm. that so you're always in that plastic state and it's okay if the stressor is going to end but if it's chronic again you you literally start falling apart you literally right. your cells of uh, the stress tissue if it becomes ish, uh, injured cannot reproduce they cannot repair because they're in a state to be like a uh, plastic they're they're trying to mm-hmm. change form and you can't reproduce. You can't do anything until you get to your new state that where you're supposed to be. But when you're at the bottom of a totem pole, you're perpetually in that state. And that's especially for men. Um, and you'll see a very high spike in very unequal societies, especially for men in stress-related disease, um, early um, death, and uh, disability. So that's number two. Wow. So we start <laughs> hey, to do what we. We start to do what we call in my business to decompensate. We we start to come <laughs> yeah. apart at the seams. 
Okay. Well, I understand. You know, this is a way to have more empathy. You know, the um, say Trump supporters are pitted from the uh, Bernie supporters. Well, basically, these type of dynamics happen when you have an entire society under stress at the same time. These, um, you know, protests and revolutions and possibly revolts in history over and over and over. They're not due to humans being in equilibrium. They're due under um, humans fearing maybe for their life, their ability to feed themselves, raise mm-hmm. their kids. I mean, they're, they're literally fighting for their life. So this is, this is how we understand revolutions and political discontent. This is how we can make sense of what's going on in our country right now. Okay, I'm ready for number three. Number three. Um, you'll like this as well. It's kind of a segue from number two. Number three is loss of social capital. Okay, and basically what that is, is um, loss of, uh, of social support. And uh, this is one thing, like living here in Ecuador, that I really, I came full circle, and I didn't understand. I mean, I understood it, but now I, like, like understand it on a deep existential level, um, is they have a lot more social capital because they've been through so much instability. Since 1838, they've been through around 75 presidents. Um, 20 constitutions oh and um, oh, t- t- 10 banking holidays. So they've developed this parallel sort of social system that kind of carries people through when mm. the financial and political systems occasionally blow up. And so, yeah, um, uh, and what this does is protects the individuals from stress. You're not having to be in that constantly plastic state all the time. You can actually have some equilibrium because you're protected by your kin. Mm. Social capital is a good good phrase. I like that. Oh yeah, it's the original capital. I mean, it came so, so let me ask millennial you a question, before then. financial capital. So, uh, according to the research, um, people in the United States move. About every on the average of maybe once every five years, I think mm-hmm. that's I think that's the research that says that. So that means that people are not staying close to family. That's right. And I'm I'm guessing that that takes a toll in terms of the kind of stress, that the effects of stress um, that we're not that every time we do that is a high possibility that we it costs us in social capital. Bingo. Bingo. See, what has happened, and, and again, I was wondering why this happened, because we all remember when we were kids, um, when we had a lot more um, family get-togethers, um, you know, there was a lot more um, involvement in community and, you know, if you're religious church or social groups. Well, this has fallen precipitously since the industrial age, and it's really mm-hmm. fallen now. And um, absolutely, um, you know, it, um, um what happened? This is this is the best I can figure. After World War II, okay, the fat cats at the top wanted to make more money, you know, from an incredibly prosperous nation. So what they did was they developed like marketing and materialism and finance, you know, so you can pay for your vacuum cleaner five dollars a week or ten dollars. So they developed these constructs, and um, with that, over a period of time, the financial system replaced a lot of the old school social capital. So financial mm-hmm. capital replaced, but you see financial capital, unfortunately, is more fragile than social capital. Social capital 
you know, has come with the, the dawn of humanity, right? Um, mm-hmm. But financial capital is just an artificial construct that is prone to corruption and breakdowns and blowups uh, periodically and it, over and over and over in history. It, financial capital has no soul. Well, no, it's no, no it, it, it's just an artificial construct to make mm-hmm. people uh, at the top more rich, the bankers more rich, or mm-hmm. the the titans. And on the rich. surface, it can make things appear more convenient, but not necessarily what you're saying. No, 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 because ultimately, ultimately, the most if if you're wanting the worst thing um, the leaders of a nation can have are a bunch of people that are really worried and paranoid and panicking, freaked out, um, like they are now. And, um, yeah, social capital um, during hard times um, really um, keeps – well, it's a mode of survival. Yeah. Okay, good. So was that – that was number three or four? That's number three. Okay, number four. Number four, okay, this is completely different, and I know that probably a lot of your listeners just never even checked in on their radar, okay? Number four is depletion or derangement of the uh, human biome, okay, which is – human biome is just a fancy um, term for those microorganisms of all different types that um, have co-evolved uh, co- uh, with us over millions of years, live in our gut, in our orifices, and in our skin, on our skin. And the the reason why when we mess this delicate balance up is that these microorganisms um, actually perform physiological functions, our bodily functions, okay? But for instance, they produce several types of vitamins that we can't produce on our own. Um, another type thing is um, there's a signaling for various tissue growth that comes from our body's interaction with these microorganisms. And it's the same with, um, you know, endocrine signaling, uh, immune signaling. Um, They're a vital part of our physiology. And if we kind of screw that up, our bodies go under a chemical stress. This isn't psychological. How does that get get screwed up? Well, it gets screwed up, number one, um, is our overuse of antibiotics. But uh, oh also another really terrible factor is the uh, our diet, um, the processed food that we eat, and, and I'll discuss this with number five, is full of these novel chemicals that didn't maybe even exist 50 years ago or even 30 or 40 years ago. And so we don't have the mechanism to efficiently break these down. So what mm. happens is our body goes under stress. It, they, it tries to adjust itself. So despite the toxicity of this, it still keeps going on. That's how you die. You said it's it's part of the the bio. Uh, how do you say that? B. Did you spell it. Yeah, absolutely. B is in boy. I is in indigo. O is in Oprah. M is in Mary. E is in Elaine. I am interesting. So if it if it gets damaged, is there a way to uh, repair it? Well, um, okay, I'm not trying to make like a, a bunch of jokes here, but uh, one thing that uh, experimentally has worked is a fecal transplant, um, where someone who does have a good, you know, profile uh, of their biome, you know, there's, it's like a it's like a fingerprint. Um, it changes 
from yeah, geographical location, you know. So my my biome here in Ecuador is uh, not the same as like what my biome was back in the United States. But you can do that. But the thing is, is, is that this because is where, of your you know, diet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, uh, you know partially because yeah because of your diet. And and when, of course when we live in an overly sterile environment, you know we're constantly trying to sterilize everything. Um, mm-hmm. These kind of things get screwed up too. But it's very very important. I mean we're not meant to be sterile. We're meant to have these microorganisms that serve as a primary defense. Um, you know just. As you know, um, like for instance, as our skin is a primary defense, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's one of our primary defenses, and of course, it's involved with a, a lot of physiological functions. Interesting. <laughs> it's so deep. What, what, now, I, I, I'm, I'm, I just hate to ask this next question, but did you say fecal transplant? Yeah, I yeah, heard that. Yeah. I heard that. I heard that too, Matthew. I was waiting yeah, for you to ask what that you was exactly. <laughs> I was just biting my tongue not to make a whole bunch of other comments here. But what is oh, that? I know, what, I know. what is fodder, that? It's fodder for. Quick, tell us because there's some people out there going, "What is Wait. that?" Oh, okay, okay. So, okay, in, in our in our um, okay in our stools. <laughs> I, we we could use a various you know, a lot of other words, but in in our in our schools, okay, um, we have um, you know uh, our um, you know various uh, profiles of microorganisms. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, a, if if like say for instance they've done this with mice and guinea pigs, um, if you have one that is depleted, you can take a stool sample. And insert it in the rectum of the second animal who does have a depleted um, system. And that's exactly you know, it, what it, I was afraid you were going to say. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I know that these pictures are. I have know, to read this research. Yeah, well, I'm not talking about research here. I'm talking about like that, that's a that's an. Uh, is there re- there's research on this, right? Matthew, will oh, you let her finish, please? As a matter of fact. <laughs> no. As a matter of fact. Um, fecal fecal transplants could be a major, um, uh, you know, very cheap, easy way um, to address a lot of problems um, in the uh, in the future. Like you have someone, like say, with Crohn's disease, um, you know, you know, intestinal, mm-hmm. you know, and of course, yeah. if they have uh-huh. diarrhea all the time because they have inflammation all the time, they're going to totally mess up. Well, you could take someone who's healthy, it's got a good profile. And just um, you know, transplant the fecal mass uh, into the, and um, it, it is it is very being heavily investigated as very potent therapy. Wow! And, and this yeah. and this implant this implanted uh, it, it would it would take hold. Seem like after that other person had a bowel movement, they would push that out as well. Well, yeah, but you still have what what it is is that. Not all of your organisms come out in a bowel movement. You know what they have to do is they have to populate um, the the actual um, tissue wall. So is this this is planted, this is implanted um, anally, or is this injected into the bloodstream? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have to go, yeah, anally. 
on the tissue walls, Matthew, not just inserted uh, in there. <laughs> so I've got to read this research. This is anything. interesting. No, I'm glad you did because this just gives me hope. There's some people I know can, who need some of this. Can I bring something else up that I oh, think would be very exciting? Um, we all know about macrobiotics. I mean, this goes um, yeah. in the you know, okay. same vein as macro. Uh-huh. Do you understand? Do you do you, do you understand? Do you know that um, that mac- the use of very specialized, engineered populations of macrobiotics are going to be the next generation in antibiotics? Uh, that sounds good. I mean, that that sounds great to me because the antibiotic uh, antibiotics are causing massive problems. People take too many, exactly. and, and, and then they become useful. almost immune to immune to them. And then there's other kinds of problems that develop because of that. Now, this is one. Honestly, I have not heard of this, so this is an interesting thing. I know it's funny, but it's also very interesting because fecal matter would hold all kinds of organisms that would probably, as you said, populate um, the uh, colon of the person they were inserted into probably fairly quickly, right? Absolutely. In I a mean, matter of hours. I mean, yeah, you, you know how fast, you know, if you're exposed to a virus or bacteria when, when you're vulnerable, mm-hmm. how fast you get sick. You know, you, and you're so about this, someone this who's coughing and like two or three hours later you have a sore throat. It's very quick, this, yeah. This helps with certain kinds of diseases. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, so um, this has not been tried of, on humans yet, but this is something that's been done. With, I, it, uh, it, it might have been – you know what? I think it probably has. I just, um, it seems like I've ran over, uh, um, you know, I've run across um, a number of articles, but it's, it's okay. definitely been extremely well studied in animals. Amazing. That <laughs> is new information. What's number five? I can't wait to hear that one. <laughs> number five is sort of kind of related, but it's more generalized. It's just chemical stress. So, as I, um, I'll just kind of reiterate again. There are a lot of novel compounds that industry has produced, you know, in our, you know, modernization, our past mm-hmm. modernization in the last 150 years. And, um, you know, of course, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that we have not evolved the metabolic machinery, especially from our livers, in order to break down these compounds. I mean, they're, they're novel. They're new. So what happens? Again, this is how we're framing stress. Our body says, oh, no, um, something's out of whack, and it goes into the stress response trying to deal with, um, you know, this uh, level of basically toxicity. And ultimately, pollution, um, there's been a study um, out of um, Cornell, and ultimately pollution, believe it or not, is thought to be responsible ultimately for 40% of all human deaths in the world, whether it's Mm. pollution of the air, soil, or water. Lamar, you're going to have to move. Yeah. I'm sorry? I said Lamar's going to have to move. Oh, yeah. He lives, yeah, he lives in a bad place. We all got to move to Ecuador. Oh. Is that the solution? Yeah, yeah. You're going to have to come down here. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fine. You know, Ecuador seems <laughs> like a cool place to come, come hang out. Oh yeah. But listen, let me jump in here right quick. Um, for our listeners that's just joining us, uh, we're talking to Mary Wingo about the impact of human stress response. If you'd like to join us or ask 
Mary question, please just press number one on your phone. Um, we'd be glad to hear from you. All right, I did that. That's good. So, so say say a little bit more about uh, pollution, please. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and and again, this is not really rocket science, but um, yeah, we, you know, we we have um, we're exposed to. Uh, many, many of these, um, you know, of, of this types of contamination, and to think that they have no results, no impact, um, in my opinion, is a, a little bit misguided and, and a bit naive. So, yeah, I mean, and and ultimately, and, and it's not just pollution; it's also, again, household chemicals, our our hygiene products, our cleaning products. I mean, the stuff mm-hmm. that we have around the house that we're always slathering on our bodies here. We're always exposing ourselves. Again, our ancestors didn't have this. And the point is not to be sterile. The point is to have a good biome that keeps the bad organisms away. They actually right. are the of defense for the bad mm-hmm. organisms or, you know, for other types of stressors. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, so that's a big, big problem um, for humanity in general, not just the modernized world. You know, I have some clients who tell me that when they when they go in the bathroom in the public bathroom, they take they wash their hands and then they take the paper towels and they wipe off the doorknobs and the, and the latches and everything so they don't have to touch anything on the way out. It's amazing to me how crazy people can get about that. Well, or the people that go to the grocery store and got to wipe off the handles of the grocery cart. I don't know. You live in Ecuador. I don't know. You probably remember that. You come back to the states sometimes, right? Uh, no, abs- no, actually, I have not. <laughs> well, you went in the grocery stores before, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, they, they got this they thing have, in like, grocery those, stores uh, now. They got these little wipe things that they give to everybody right. so they can wipe off where the other people were. Yeah, and you know what you're doing. You know what you're breeding superbugs. You, you know, you kill 99.9% of the bacteria, and that, that 0.01% is strong as ever, and it'll it'll grow to fill the 100% again, and it won't yeah. be uh, reactive. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't use it. No. Mm-mm. Give me a little, give me a little bug that protects me against the big ones, huh? Yeah, it's all, it's not about being sterile. Like I said, it's, it's about having like your the flora that has evolved on you. Just let it do its job. And um, and again, a lot a lot of what we've adopted in the modernized world has um, depleted um, these populations. Well, could you talk a little bit more, Mary, about um, what you're calling here the financial cost of stress? Oh yeah, yeah. This is um this is some mind blowing stuff. And and again, these are just basic, um, you know, these are basic, uh, uh, you know, uh, back-of-the-envelope calculations. Um, I'm sure that a real uh, bean counter could go through and do a very um, stringent meta-analysis, and it would probably be more, okay? So the figures I'm giving you are, like, on the lower end, okay, more conservative. Mm-hmm. But, stress, okay, stress is costing somewhere, I don't know, between $6 trillion to uh, could be well, it's going to be minimum 
around 10% of the global financial output. So okay. It, it's okay. So like last year, it was like 70 trillion for the entire world, you know, the entire output. Well, it's around 7 trillion minimum, minimum, just back of the envelope, just quick and dirty calculations. Um, and so it, it's probably more. It's And it's probably more. Um, so what we're looking at is a huge uh, financial sink. And um, especially um, where our country um, is, um, our healthcare system is collapsing. Um, this is not good news. Um, this is, um, uh, you know, basically uh, you have a lot of folks that are under extreme levels of stress and a, a, a non-functional or a system, you know, a healthcare system that is quickly becoming non-functional. And so um, that's one of the reasons I wrote my book is that I was seeing this and I kept waiting for somebody else to write the book. I was waiting for like some, you know, Harvard scholar to write this book. But obviously um, because um, this this field is so complex, um, there's been very few people that have been able to kind of review the big picture of how all this works. Um, and, um, and, you know, absolutely. Um, um, it's, um, you know, very um, – Important. It's very important, I believe, for public health because without the efficiently working healthcare system, people are going to need to understand what stress is because that is likely what is going to make them sick or disabled. Um, and I want them to be able to assign risk to it. I mean, like I said, similar to like smoking cigarettes, you're assigning a risk, and like, okay, well, uh, if this behavior is going to cause me maybe to die 15 years early and leave my family in poverty because there's no breadwinner, then um, this is a compelling reason to stop mm -hmm. that. Or for communities, like for, um, like say, um, self-help groups and communities in general, and like say stressed areas like, like Flint, Michigan, um, mm -hmm. you know, to be able to actually give them a vocabulary, some tools that aren't just meant for other academics. It's meant for the general public. Use to empower them. So if if I'm so you have this for um, different kinds of diseases or or um, I'm I'm a you know we've had some people on the show recently talking about addictions of drug addictions and I'm guessing that the rise of addiction is very related to the rise of the complexity and the intensity of stress in people's lives. And would you agree with that? Okay. Okay. I'm glad you, you asked the question of addiction. And I, what I'm going to do is hopefully I'm going to really clarify this and demystify this for um, you and your listeners. This is really interesting stuff. Okay. So basically, um, we go back to our frontal lobes. Okay, which control our impulses, right? Mm -hmm. And we, we overtax those, so we start losing function, just like you would a muscle if you overexerted a muscle. You start losing function, okay? Okay. Well, when – okay, so, so when um, you are under stress and it just keeps on continuing and you've lost um, functioning your frontal lobe – and your uh, fight-or-flight nervous system, because you've been under stress for so long, is starting to kind of malfunction. You mm -hmm. go into this alternate state, and this is how all mental illnesses, every single one of them works. You go into what's called a, a dissociative state, okay? okay. It's, um, and that dissociative state, um, this is where the loss of impulse control 
come. Mm-hmm. Um, because um, basically what happens is you're under such stress. And so you go into what is called a freeze state. So it's not the flight. Okay. It's not the flight. It's fight, it's flight, freeze. or freeze. Yeah, yeah, and um, mm-hmm. so you, you're basically like a deer with the headlights. You're you're yeah. um, sort of in a you're playing dead. You know, it's mm-hmm. like playing dead. Yeah. You know, like like you, you know, you see a, a lion right. pack a gazelle, and the gazelle mm-hmm. is acting like it's dead. You know, while it's being flipped around, but it's still alive, and it's just kind of sort of biding time. Hopefully, you know, mm-hmm. for a moment so they can escape. Well, this is the same mechanism, except okay. with our real complex brains. Um, it it um, it makes us sort of go into this sort of uh, la-la land that's not related to rela- a reality. And um, with that, every single addiction or self-soothing activity that we do that when we're under stress becomes intensified because you're not fully okay. conscious. You're in that deer-in-the-headlight um, mm-hmm. state. And that's okay. a very dangerous state to be in. It, it's important in that, you know, it's better than just having a heart going into shock, you know, but from, you know, being under stress. So it's sort of like, sort of like the stage before death, actually. It, it, it is. It's, it's, you know, one step above death. It, it's not functioning. It's not a human state. It is, uh, you know, a human that is extremely wounded and has no other options than just to space out and do self-soothing activities that aren't healthy. So if we fight or we run away, we're in better shape than if we freeze. And that freezing state is a, is associated with the dissociative state, kind of a disconnected place. And that's where addiction um, blossoms? Oh, this is where every – I mean, if you're – like, say, if you're prone to, um, you know, say your family, you know, you're prone to schizophrenia. Well, then this is when you're going to have um, the uh, uh, psychosis. If uh, you're prone to depression, this is when, you know, it's so bad you can't get out of bed. If you're prone to, like, obsessive compulsive disorder, this is when, you know, you go into those periods where you can't stop washing your hands or whatever, doing whatever over and over and okay, over. Okay, so we get so activated this, this, this there. This is the root of all mental illness. This is how mental illness develops. So the, the, you're saying that the uh, tendency towards some kind of Dysfunction might exist in a person, however, based on how much stress we are required to endure chronically, um, it can activate that into intense episodes or or more more intensity in general in our lives. Pathology, yeah, because okay. you have to understand all mental illness comes from when your frontal lobe. Um, are fatigued and, and they're not mm. functioning right. So you know the ability um, to rationalize, to uh, um, regulate our emotions, to follow through on our intentions—that all goes out the door. It's like you become super uh, ADD. You become super attention deficit. I know a lot of people like that. Oh yeah. No, no, it's it's seriously. <laughs> This is how this is how our society changed. Our ancestors were not like that. How far back do we have to go before we reach those people that you call the ancestors? Well, of course, if you go to different cultures, um, you know that you can find it right now. But um, this is somewhere. 
between like the industrial age and the prosperous period after World War II, so this is when um, uh, historically you start seeing stress-related diseases spike. It's like in the 1940s or 50s, uh, and then it just, you know, it's gotten worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. When did they start terming these disorders as stress-related diseases? Oh, I'm sorry. Can you repeat for me? When did they start calling some of these disorders? I mean, when did they start putting them under the topic of a stress-related disease? Oh, oh, very, very interesting question. Well, to go to that, we have to go to the father of medicine, modern medicine, and uh, the the man who coined the term stress. That's uh, Hans Selye. And the man was just one of those crazy geniuses. He was like a sort of like a, a Martian, you know, from planet Mars. I mean, the guy uh, was so brilliant. But, yeah, he is the father of modern medicine. And this is where he, in the 1940s and 50s, started making these observations of these very specific patterns of pathology and that were exacerbated under stress. So um, it's it, it, basically, it's a disease of modern uh, modernized, um, they're called diseases of civilization. So, yeah, in the 20th century somewhere, this is when things started really getting haywire. Well, I remember in the early 70s reading Hans Selye's work, and there were tests and you could take, and there was some kind of, um, uh, it wasn't a test, but it was like a graph, and you could assign different uh, points to stress-related events, and you could add up your stress. Yes. And even from positive, and stress can be caused even from positive things. And, of course. Oh, oh yeah, it's uh, just the rate of adjustment. It, there is right. no good, or it's just the rate of adjustment. There's nothing more or nothing less. And whether you've won the lottery or gotten married or gone to prison, it still taxes your research. This is where I diverge. Yeah. Um, from a lot of other stress research, there's no good or bad stress. It's all just how much you're putting the pedal to the metal in order mm-hmm. to adapt to what is thrown yeah. Right. But remember, stress is additive. This is an important lesson. That um, famous, famous um, uh, inventory, we call that inventory, where you, you, know, you take it and you add stuff up, um, is very famous. And um, it, what it does is it shows that stress is additive. And this is another compelling reason to aggressively manage stress. So attitude added. means it it it, you, it, it uh, builds up, you know, one thing on top of the other. Oh, absolutely, until it's, absolutely. Until it's so and, heavy and you can't carry it. Your system can't manage it. That's it. That's it. it's a carrying capacity. Yeah. Uh, Matthew, I think we have another caller, right? Quick, let me see who this is. Let's give him a minute. Okay. 718, you're on. I know that is. Mary, I'd like to ask you a question. More than eating wholesome food and uh, and the environment, is it important to have a lot of family support and support from your neighbors, everybody? I I read a place where there's a village, everybody supports each other, and they live to many, many, many years, 100 years old and better, because not only because of the food, but because of the support everybody gives each other, that's very important, right? Oh, yeah, that's part of social capital. That's absolutely – you have to understand, when we're born, we're basically the human form of larva. <laughs> we're very yeah. immature. And it takes us 
well over a decade to even raise our offspring to where they're just minimally functional. Um, you know, so they we are um, wired to be social exactly for that reason because you know we're so helpless when we're babies and small children. And so yeah, um, this is um, social capital is is the and social support is the original form of dynamics between human beings. I mean, this is like goes back to the beginnings of, you know, um, you know, humanoids, you know, uh, it, it's uh, um, the primary source of economy and protection. Absolutely. Right. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Joan. Thank you. Thanks, okay. Joan. <laughs> You Mary, we down to the last. Uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm still gonna try to find out how much you have to pay for that, but okay. Uh, <laughs> Mary, we're down to the last few minutes of the show, so I'd like to give you the opportunity to tell our listeners how they can go get your book, where they can reach you, contact you, and all that good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, they can go to my website. They need to go to my website, marywingo.com. That's marywingo.com. I've got tons of videos um, and free info, as well as um, the basic framework that they can grab for free on how to act actively, um, you know, uh, science-based me- methods for actively managing and aggressively managing one stress. Um, they can also go to amazon.com. And uh, uh, pick up a um, pick up a paperback as well as downloadable copy. And I'm also available um, for um, various workshops, um, you know, various um, uh, consulting um, for businesses because the stress, of, you know, having a stressed out workforce is uh, one of the is the most expensive sunk cost that businesses have, and where everyone's kind of on edge right now, it could determine who survives as a business and who fails. And, uh, yeah, uh, just uh, they can contact me at marywingo.com, and I'll be happy to answer any questions. Oh, fantastic, Mary. I just want you to know what's today. Today, Sunday, you'll see Matthew and I Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) Mary, thank you so much for being with us. It was really informative and 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 helpful. You are so welcome. If you think of like another, um, you know, angle that your listeners would like to know about, just have me back on. I'll be happy to come back on. And I just want you to know that you made Lamont's day when you told him he asked you, he asked the question of the century. I am never going to hear the end of that. <laughs> he is going to remind me of that for as long as he lives. He asked the question of the century. He is uh, never matter gonna get matter of fact, I got one up on you. We're going to play this show a, a, a couple few thousand more just so we can hear that over again. <laughs> you did good for him. You lowered his stress big time when you said that. That was good. Thank you very much, Mary. Thank you. My pleasure, gentlemen. You guys have a good afternoon. You too. All right, thank you so very much. Thank and you. for listeners that just joined in late, late, um, please go to our website worldmovement.com. Go to iTunes, put in uh, "Can I Play a Play?" and you can catch the beginning of the show, and it'll be available on all your social networks. You know, so go find out how you can get rid of some of this stress, people, so you can come back next week and hear Matthew and myself right here on Can I Play a Play? Absolutely. Thank you 
so very much, and we appreciate you coming to hear us on our platform, and hopefully we've helped somebody some way, somehow, because that is our mission. Thank you so very much. And uh, let's see what Praise Master Chief got to say on the Yeah, yeah, old school. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, this ain't for everybody. Some of y'all need to hear this. I know you're in the trenches fighting, but check it out. I'm going to put it down like this so I can help the saints understand. Everything you're going through is all part of the master plan. Or what? You thought because you got saved, everything was going to be peaches and cream? You better wake up, son. Don't nothing come to a sleep but a drink. Faith without works is dead. Read your Bible. You know what it says. He who don't work, don't eat. Slackers don't get fed. Huh? Yeah. Jesus said, he who puts his hands to the plow looks back the same ain't fit. Some of y'all ain't been in the church five minutes and you're about ready to quit. I ain't mad at you. I'm just hitting you with the real. If you died for me and I was still tripping, now how you think that make you feel? Check this out. Deep game. This here's deep. Some of y'all ain't sawing nothing but you started trying to reach. But after him who was able to possess your father by his glory. Struggles might be part of your testimony, but it ain't the end of the story. Now the point is this prophesied way back in the day. Choir, sing your hook right here and see if the church can relate. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.